0: Hello and welcome to episode 18. In today's episode, we will be discussing the screening and diagnosis of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which from now on we will call NAFLD. So for today's scenario, we have actually a true or false statement. Are current guidelines recommending screening for NAFLD for every patient with type 2 diabetes? True or false? And the statement is actually True. Current guidelines do recommend screening for all patients with type 2 diabetes with a FIB-4 score to identify patients who are at risk for either moderate or high risk of hepatic fibrosis. This is based on the 2022 ACE guidelines and the 2023 American Association of Study of Liver Diseases guidelines, which we will be discussing in depth today. We will also be incorporating up-to-date guidance documents. So NAFLD is an all-incorporating term that refers to a spectrum of hepatic changes, which starts with fatty infiltration, followed by inflammation, followed by fibrosis, and eventually cirrhosis. In the absence of known causes of steatosis, which can include excess alcohol consumption, history of toxic medications, infections such as hepatitis A, B, or C, deposition disorders such as Wilson's disease or hemochromatosis or autoimmune hepatitis. So, NAFLD is generally subdivided into two things. The first one would be non-alcoholic fatty liver, which essentially just means steatosis without cellular injury or inflammation. And that can be confirmed histologically by seeing more than 5% of hepatocytes exhibiting macrovesicular steatosis. And the second subdivision of NAFLD is non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. So not steatosis, but steatohepatitis and That term indicates that there is steatosis with evidence of cellular injury, such as ballooning, along with inflammation. And that can happen in the early stages without scarring, and as it progresses, it starts to have evidence of scarring or fibrosis. The only way to differentiate between steatosis and steatohepatitis is with a biopsy where a pathologist can assign a NAFLD activity score based on the histological changes that the pathologist sees. However, this is not routinely done for all patients, and we end up using non-invasive tests to monitor the progression from early NAFLD into fibrosis. And this is really the most important step in risk stratification. Scarring and fibrosis is graded from stage 1 to stage 4 based on histology, where stage 2 or higher are considered at highest risk of progression to cirrhosis and are at highest risk for increase in mortality and liver-related events. As the fibrosis advances into the latter stages, the fibrous bands form cirrhotic nodules the liver function is compromised, and then the histological changes that are typically seen in NASH can no longer be identified. It's important to note here that histologically, non-alcoholic steatohepatitis cannot be differentiated from alcoholic steatohepatitis. So only a good social history can exclude alcohol consumption as the cause of liver disease. So in terms of pathophysiology... The pathogenesis of NAFLD is not fully understood, but the prevailing hypothesis is that there is a genetic predisposition with or without an energy oversupply that contributes to insulin resistance, increased peripheral lipolysis and release of free fatty acids, the uptake of these fatty acids by the liver, increase in the synthesis of triglycerides and storage in the liver. And this contributes to steatosis. But then another second hit is thought to happen and is thought to cause oxidative damage which is implicated in the necroinflammatory component of steatohepatitis. This can include reduction in the scavenging of free oxygen radicals, Hepatotoxic byproducts of the gut microbiome, increase in hepatic iron deposition, leptin, and other antioxidant deficiencies, amongst other causes. Now, in terms of prevalence, in the United States, studies report a NAFLD prevalence of 10 to 46 percent in the general population, and approximately three to five percent have non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. The prevalence of NAFLD and NASH specifically is rising worldwide in parallel with the increase in the prevalence of obesity and metabolic syndrome. In fact, in some at-risk populations, those with obesity and diabetes, the prevalence of NAFLD can be as high as 75%. Now, the problem with this very high prevalence of NAFOLD is that the majority of patients with NAFOLD are asymptomatic. And some patients may not exhibit any clinical signs or any biochemical changes until they present with cirrhotic changes. Some patients are identified based on incidental imaging evidence of fatty liver or hepatomegaly, and some patients are identified based on elevated liver enzymes detected incidentally. Typically the elevation is mild, up to 3 to 5 times of normal with an AST ALT ratio of 1, unlike what is seen in alcoholic hepatitis, where the ratio would be more than 2. But as mentioned, not all patients exhibit liver enzyme derangements as they advance from steatosis to advanced fibrosis. So because most patients with NAFLD are asymptomatic, current guidelines recommend screening for NAFLD-related fibrosis in all at high-risk populations, and this population can include patients with type 2 diabetes, all patients with obesity, those with metabolic syndrome, those with a family history of cirrhosis, and those with significant alcohol use history. When we are screening, we're not actually screening for steatosis, we're actually screening for steatohepatitis-related fibrosis. And remember, The stage 2 or higher fibrosis, these are the at-risk group that we're worried about, and this would be the group that would require and benefit the most from further workup and treatment. So the most validated initial screening tool that we use is the FIB4 score, which is a statistical calculation that uses the patient's age, liver enzymes, and platelet count, to estimate the risk of advanced fibrosis. There are FIB4 calculators available for free online that you can use and you can input these patient variables. So the FIB4 score identifies that even though the patient's liver enzymes are normal, as they increase within the normal range from the low normal to high normal, the risk of fibrosis increases. FIB4 test results are reported as either low-risk, moderate-risk, or high-risk for fibrosis. Those with low-risk can return to monitoring with a repeat FIB4 score every 1-3 to years, depending on the population, while those with a moderate or high-risk for fibrosis on the FIB score should undergo further evaluation with a confirmatory quantitative test of fibrosis such as the vibration-controlled transient elastography, or fibroscan, or the less commonly used uh, MR spectroscopy. In those whose fibrosis is confirmed, referral to a hepatologist is recommended. Also, in patients whose liver enzymes had been elevated for more than six months without an identifiable cause, they should be referred to a hepatologist even if they have low FIB4 scores. Although liver biopsy is the gold standard for diagnosis, it is only done in selected patients whose non-invasive tests are non-conclusive and other causes of steatosis cannot be reliably excluded. It's important to note that while a normal ultrasound can identify liver fat based on echogenicity, it cannot quantify the fat nor can it confirm fibrosis. So, it has limited role in high-risk populations undergoing confirmation of already moderate or high FIB score. So, just to put it in perspective, in clinical practice, when you are seeing patients with type 2 diabetes, if you have a CBC and a CMP, you're able to calculate a FIB-4 score. And if their score is moderate or high, then these patients should undergo further evaluation ideally with a fibroscan and if fibrosis is confirmed then these patients should be referred to a hepatologist. If you do not have access to a fibroscan a normal hepatic ultrasound will not be able to reliably exclude fibrosis and you may want to consider refer to a hepatologist for further workup. The initial workup would be excluding other causes of steatosis such as hepatitis A, B, or C, rule out toxic medications, rule out a social history of alcohol use, screen for autoimmune hepatitis and hemochromatosis, and rule out other associated features of Wilson's disease. And this concludes today's episode on screening and diagnosis of NAFLD. In the next episode, we will be discussing the management of Patients with Nafold. Thank you for listening.